You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday to you. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior, and I'm Al Melchior. I'm in the name of the show. I'm your host, and uh, more injury news, more great pitcher matchups. It's like Groundhog Day here on the Fantasy Baseball Hour, <laughs> but it uh, gives us a lot to talk about and a lot of things that we need to respond to uh, as we start to think about next week already, even though it seems like this week just started. Uh, so let me get right to it. Uh, in fact, there's some things I just saw come across on my Twitter feed in like five minutes before the show. So got to make sure uh, I get this all in. But uh, the big news, which uh, is mostly injury news, Adam Eaton has gone on the disabled list with a bone bruise in his left ankle. And uh, in better Nationals injury news, they have brought Matt Wieters off of the DL. He was uh, disabled with a left oblique strain. So he's back eating on the DL. And uh, Eaton is supposed to get an MRI today, according to the Washington Post. Uh, He says that his ankle only bothers him when he walks or jogs, which sounds like a minimizing statement. But I got to say, if there was an injury that only hurt me when I walked or jogged, that would be a major nuisance. So he's got to he definitely has to uh, attend to that. Uh, So once we see the MRI results, I imagine we'll have a much better idea of how long Eaton uh, might be out of commission for the Nationals. They have also called up Moises Sierra, give them some outfield depth. And they have DFA'd Miguel Montero. Pretty short stay with the Nationals for uh, Montero. So Pedro Severino is obviously going to be doing the, uh, well, actually, I mean, with Weeders back, uh, he probably won't be doing the bulk of the catching. Uh, but uh, he will be certainly doing the catching when Matt Weeders isn't. Uh, Miguel Montero is not going to stick around there. And in terms of more Nationals uh, health slash injury news, Victor Robles, uh, who uh, had a, a very scary, ugly-looking play the other day where he uh, rolled over on his elbow, uh, he has been diagnosed with a hyperextended left elbow. And according to MLB.com, Robles is going to undergo more testing on Monday uh, when the team anticipates that the swelling in his elbow will have gone down. So unfortunately, we're going to have to wait several days before we know more about the status of Victor Robles. And certainly, without him eating out, the Nationals could really use him right now, but it looks like he's going to be down for quite a while. Exactly how long, uh, we won't know, like I said, until uh, it sounds like early next week. Johnny Cueto has landed on the DL. Uh, He, uh, of course, had that left ankle sprain uh, in his last start. He got pushed back to today. And, of course, he's obviously not not going to pitch today um, now that he's on the DL. And apparently he also hurt himself between starts uh, in a uh, workout. That seems to be a growing trend. Uh, So uh, we'll know more hopefully soon about when Cueto might be able to return. Sounds like it could be a minimum stay for him, but obviously, as Matt Modica on yesterday's show very wisely reminded all of us, uh, we need to take sort of a worst-case scenario approach with a lot of this news. A lot of the reports we get are sort of soft-pedaled, and then uh, the injuries could be more serious or more lingering than initially reported. So I'm not going to get too optimistic about Cueto, but based on what what we do know, it doesn't sound like it's it's going to be a long stay for him. Good news for the Giants is that Jeff Samarja will be making a rehab start on Saturday. And then uh, if all goes well, then then he'll be back next week, according to NBC Sports Bay Area. So the Giants could certainly use uh, Samarja sooner than later. And it sounds like it could be sooner. And Will Smith, uh, he is going to take his rehab to the California League tomorrow. That's Thursday with uh, the San Jose affiliate. And he could be back uh, around May 1st and uh, give the Jets a little bit more bullpen depth. Uh, Manny Margot has gone on the disabled list. He was uh, hit in the ribs uh, by ball yesterday uh, against the Rockies, uh, or actually got hit by pitch to the ribs. And uh, fortunately, an x-ray did not reveal any fractures 
for Margot, but uh, it is uh, what has been termed a significant bruise. And I imagine that is something could, that could linger a, a while and maybe affect Margot. So that's the bad news. Uh, the good news, uh, such as there can be in this situation, is that Franchi Cordero has been recalled. He was on a rehab assignment. And Cordero is not only up with the Padres, but uh, he is in their starting lineup uh, for their game that's just about to start in Colorado, and he's leading off. So filling in for Margo in center field and in the leadoff spot, uh, we will have the 2018 debut of uh, Franchi Cordero. Got a whole bunch of catcher news. Uh, Yadier Molina is going to serve his one-game suspension today. He has dropped his appeal, according to MLB.com. I guess this was an expected move uh, for Molina. Manny Pena had to leave yesterday's game against the Cardinals early with a tight right calf. I have not seen anything further on how long Pena might be out and if whether or not he's going to need a uh, a DL stint. Uh, I had been recommending him as a as an injury replacement and somebody who was sort of on the fringes of the top twelve at catcher. So for me personally, that's a big blow. I imagine for a lot of owners who maybe just recently picked up Pena to fill in uh, as, as I did for Sal Perez. Maybe he was your Weeders replacement. Um, so uh, not not great news there uh, for Pina, but again, no word yet on the severity or uh, how much time that Pina is going to miss. Much, much more serious, uh, the news for Travis Darno. He has torn the UCL in his right elbow, could need Tommy John surgery. The Mets have recalled Tomas Nito to back up Kevin Ploiecki, who will now uh, definitely be the uh, full-time catcher for the Mets. And uh, who knows, maybe Ploiecki... Uh, being your Pena replacement, although I imagine there's probably uh, some some even better options out there. Uh, Brandon McCarthy in uh, this afternoon's game against the Nationals was was going pretty well, and then at the very end of the uh, fifth inning, he uh, went to uh, catch a, a toss as he was uh, going to cover first base. He did get the out, but uh, right before he crossed first base grabbed his left elbow, or grabbed his left arm, I should say. Uh, it was clearly in some pain, almost instantly summoned the trainer. Trainer came out, and it appeared that the trainer popped his shoulder back into place, but I have not seen any definitive report as to whether or not it was his shoulder or some other type of arm injury, but that's what it appeared to be, and if that's the case, maybe that's good news, especially since it's, um, it's McCarthy's non-throwing arm. But that's uh, obviously one that we're going to have to monitor. And McCarthy would line up for two starts next week. I'd already put in a claim for him in one of my leagues. May have to take that one out. Uh, so we'll uh, see what happens there with Brendan McCarthy. Uh, let's see. Yuli Gurriel, I think uh, this is just a follow-up on one that I mentioned with the last couple of days. But uh, he is already back in Houston with the Astros. He's working out at Minute Maid Park, according to MLB.com. He is done with his minor league rehab and is expected to be back for the Astros on Friday. So uh, there's, uh, after all this bad injury news, there's a good piece of news on, on Yuli Gurriel. Dan Straley uh, yesterday, that's Tuesday, threw a 29-pitch bullpen session. That's the first time he had thrown since uh, late in spring training. And uh, if he responds well today after having thrown those 29 pitches, he will probably go on a rehab assignment and may only need one or two rehab starts. So perhaps we're not too far from seeing the return of Dan Straley. And then a couple of... Uh, Lineup notes that are related to injuries. Charlie Blackman did not play on Tuesday against the Padres uh, due to a tight quad, and he is out of the starting lineup again for the Rockies. And again, that one just getting underway uh, at Coors Field. And for the Diamondbacks, David Peralta uh, is out of the lineup on Wednesday. Uh, Diamondbacks have a uh, 1245 Pacific time start at AT&T Park against the Giants, uh, Peralta is dealing with a sore left hand. And that's uh, apparently, according to ArizonaCentral.com, the exact same issue he dealt with during spring training. A little bit concerning, but that said, in between spring training and this latest, latest flare-up of the hand issue, Peralta's been really good. 
And I just mentioned that I uh, just uh, earlier today put in a uh, waiver claim on Brandon McCarthy. I also did the same on David Peralta because he's he's just off to a really nice start. He's batting 316 with a couple of home runs. And his plate discipline has really been through the roof in a good way. And again, I'm going to have to be issuing the small sample caveat for at least another week or two. Uh, it could just take a couple of games going in, in the opposite direction to change somebody's stats pretty dramatically. But Peralta's plate discipline has been extremely good up to this point. He has a 21% swing rate on pitches outside of the strike zone. That's outstanding. Uh, a normal rate is right around 30%. So in addition to hitting for average, which is something that Peralta, I think, could just do in his sleep, given the type of hitter he is, um, and, and showing a little bit of power, uh, he's got the walks as well, thanks to that good plate discipline. So hopefully not a long time out for uh, for David Peralta. But uh, like uh, with most of these other ones, uh, we'll have to just monitor it and see uh, how that develops. Now, in terms of some other lineup issues, uh, so we got Blackman out, Peralta out. Uh, of course, we have a whole bunch of games that are in progress already. So it's going to limit the number of lineups that are going to be relevant for you right now. Uh, so as I mentioned, we've got, uh, Padres Rockies just getting underway. We've got, uh, let's see, oh, well, we got quite a few more lineups than just about 10 minutes ago when I first checked on this 10, 15 minutes ago. Uh, but, uh, we do have lineups for the D-backs and Giants, Tigers and Indians. D-backs and Giants is going to start, uh, within about uh, 20 minutes. So that one's coming up. And then uh, yeah, Tigers and Indians is the first of the nighttime games. So we've got their lineup, Phillies, Marlins, Red Sox, and Cubs. So I'm going to have to check some of these right on the fly because I didn't get a chance to look at them uh, before the show started. But in terms of what I did get a chance to look at for the Diamondbacks, uh, first of all, they're going to be starting Robbie Ray, but they're also facing a lefty in Andrew Suarez. And Nick Ahmed is in lineup batting sixth and playing shortstop, which is only notable just because he doesn't always start against lefties. Uh, you've got Devin Marrero at third base, which has been pretty typical for them uh, against lefties. Also, Gerard Dyson leading off. So, um, not that uh, uh, the Giants are necessarily a great team to run against, although it is Nick Hunley uh, behind the plate for the Giants and batting sixth. Buster Posey shifting over to first base again. Uh, typical move for the Giants facing the lefty Robbie Ray. So uh, that's what I've got for you in terms of those lineups. And then for the Tigers, we've seen uh, uh, Ron Gardenhire start to work Nico Goodrum into the starting lineup. So I believe it was in yesterday's game where he started in place of Jose Iglesias. And now tonight he's batting sixth and starting in place of Dixon Machado. And I talked on the show recently about making a comparison between Dixon Machado and Dansby Swanson and making the argument that... Uh, Machado's looked a little better than Swanson, and that's saying a lot because Swanson's been awfully good in the early season here. But somebody, I, and I think I tweeted something out to that effect, and um, somebody replied to me, well, aren't you concerned about Nico Goodrum stealing some playing time? And I thought, yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, I think that's something Machado's going to have to worry about where uh, I think Swanson's going to play pretty steadily. And so, in fact, yes, we have Nico Goodrum in the Tigers lineup, batting sixth and playing second. Uh, Indians are back to their normal lineup against a righty. They're going to be facing Jordan Zimmerman. And uh, like I said, there's a few other nighttime lineups here. Scott Kingery for the Phillies is batting second, moving over to left field. He's playing all over the place. So that means no Aaron Altair. Uh, you got Nick Williams in there. And could it be? That, uh, let's see. Yeah, Carl Santana's playing first, so no Reese Hoskins. No Reese Hoskins and no Aaron Altair against Luis Castillo. That's interesting. So, yeah, Gabe Kapler continues to uh, mix and match there for the Phillies. No Reds lineup uh, going up against Nick Pavetta yet. Uh, Marlins lineup is out facing Zach Wheeler. Nothing too different there. You got Derek Dietrich leading off. Lewis Brinson moved down to seventh in the lineup. Red Sox uh, facing Masahiro Tanaka uh, and starting David Price. And again, taking a quick look, no Andrew Benintendi in the lineup. So, and you got Mitch Moreland at first, Hanley Ramirez at DH. And so this is one of those games where they need uh, JD Martinez in the outfield. So you got Betts 
Bradley and Martinez in the Red Sox outfield. So no Andrew Benintendi. Uh, so for your daily lineups, make sure you're not starting them. I know I got to check that as soon as the show's over. And last lineup that's out right now, Cubs hosting the Pirates. That's a 7.05 Central Time start. So uh, that's the only lineup of the three later games that is out. And I don't see anything too unusual there. Uh, you got Victor Caratini, of course, at first base, filling in for uh, Anthony Rizzo, who's on the DL. And, uh, yep, I don't see anything else there too noteworthy. So... Uh, that's uh, all you need to know in terms of lions. And, and uh, the weather is going to be an easy one to cover here because almost all the games, there's little to no chance of precipitation. The one exception is that Cubs-Pirates game where there's a slight chance early on, but uh, by about uh, 9 o'clock Central, that chance of precipitation is going to go up to 43% and then go up, uh, at least the prediction right now, the forecast is for it to go up even more afterwards so uh that's one where i might be concerned that there's there's a cancellation so keep your eyes on that forecast for cubs pirates and that's john lester against stephen brault the lefty and that one and i should mention that that one does go you do have albert almora leading off who's very very good against lefties so uh that uh, pretty much takes us into the break and when we come back there uh, is no shortage of bullpen drama to talk about, <laughs> so I'll be catch, getting uh, caught up on that, and also some of the more notable hitting performances from Tuesday's games. So don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Did you know that you can listen to this show live on the award-winning Fantasy Sports Radio Network? Listen on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn Radio app, or download the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network is the only totally free, 24-7, 365 Fantasy Sports Network of its kind without a subscription. Check out YouTube Live on the Fantasy Sports Network YouTube page and participate in the program in there, where you can ask questions, discuss the topics with other fantasy enthusiasts, or tell everyone that you disagree. Call into your favorite show and ask your question. The number is 844-84-FNTSY. That's 844-843-6879. The Fantasy Sports Radio Network, your free fantasy source, 24 hours a day. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, as I promised before the break, I'm going to get you caught up on all the latest uh, bullpen issues, bullpen situations that deserve some attention. I've got a few uh, hitters I want to talk about. It's, like I said, it's Groundhog Day here. Uh, Tuesday's games were pretty much dominated by the starting pitchers, but uh, they're there are some hitters that you need to pay attention to. And actually, one of the hitters I was going to talk about was uh, Andrew Benintendi, who's not going to uh, start for the Red Sox uh, tonight. And um, I, uh, fortunately, during the break, just had enough time to make sure that uh, I was not starting him in my daily lineup. So breaks are good for all kinds of things. But before uh, I do get on with that, uh, let me just remind you that you can dominate your DraftKings and FanDuel Major League Baseball contest this summer with Daily Roto's MLB projections and optimizer. Go to dailyroto.com slash premium and save 10% with the promo code FNTSY to use all the same tools and projections that millionaire maker winner Drew Dinkmeyer uses. And the tools don't just work for football. This is the same site that Drew used for last year's top five $150,000 DraftKings live final finish. So head on over to dailyroto.com slash premium and save 10% with the promo code FNTSY and see the results for yourself. So as for the end activity in Tuesday's games, that uh, Cardinals Brewers series is just an endless source of, uh, I guess, entertainment, 
Uh, Ajita, I'm you know I'm not sure uh, you know depending on I guess how much of a stake you have in the closers involved or the potential closers, but yeah, there was a lot going on there. So first of all, uh, the uh, Cardinals they uh, entered the ninth uh, as the home team with a tie ball game. So would be typically be a situation where you'd see the closer, but you did not see Greg Holland, who of course uh, melted down in his first appearance as a Cardinal on Monday. So you got Bud Norris instead, which, by the way, does give us maybe a little bit of a clue as to Mike Matheny's pecking order should Holland, for whatever reason, uh, not be available. So Bud Norris came in to uh, keep that game a tie, and uh, he did not. <laughs> Domingo Santana hit a go-ahead uh, single off of Norris. Uh, so then that presented the Brewers with, uh, it seems like almost every night, the Brewers have got some sort of save situation. And yet, with all the those save situations that we've seen recently, or at least situations where you would expect a closer to pitch, we don't have a whole lot of clarity uh, there. I mean, we know that Jacob Barnes, it's not really gone very well for him. It's gone maybe a little bit better for Matt Albers. But when uh, the ninth bottom of the ninth commenced, it was Taylor Williams. And I, I have to say, I you know looked at that and said, who? <laughs> I believe this was his seventh major league appearance overall. Had a late season call up last year. It's his second appearance this year. He was just uh, called up a few days ago by the Brewers. And he pitched eighth and struck out the side. So uh, in the game recap on MLB.com, there was a quote there from Greg Council basically said, well, it was going well for Williams. And he figured Barnes would be the guy to close it out, but he wanted to really try to avoid using Barnes given his recent workload. So he sent Williams out there. And unfortunately, the ninth didn't go quite as well uh, as the eighth inning did for him. Uh, he started off by walking Tommy Pham, and then Greg Garcia moved him over with the sack bunt. So then we did see Jacob Barnes, and uh, he uh, first battery face was Dexter Haller. He threw two wild pitches, and that allowed Pham. Uh, to score. So uh, kind of a disaster all around in that game, uh, as it's, it's kind of been for both of those bullpens in this young season. So uh, I guess the upshot of that is that a couple of things that Mike Matheny maybe isn't ready to go to Greg Holland uh, in a safe situation or uh, you know, closer situation right away, which I have to say, if I own Greg Holland, I'm actually happy to see because after that season debut, it looked like maybe he could have been rushed up uh, and wasn't quite ready. So I, I don't really fault the logic there. Um, and I don't necessarily fault the logic with going with Bud Norris either, but uh, it's just kind of a mess uh, there uh, in the, the bullpen for St. Louis so far. And I guess the other, uh, certainly the other takeaway would be that Taylor Williams, this you know guy that I had to kind of scratch my head and, I didn't even know who he was. Um, he might be in that mix. Uh, Craig Council initially mentioned there were going to be four relievers in the mix for saves. We've seen two of them since um, you know, since uh, they, they've had a need to replace Corey Kniebel, who's on the DL now. Uh, so we've seen Barnes. We've seen Matt Albers. Uh, he also mentioned uh, Jeremy Jeffress. And Dan Jennings, who I don't believe we've we've seen in a safe situation as of yet, but uh, I think you got to add, add Taylor Williams that list. Uh, I'm not sure. Again, this was kind of a unique situation where Kyle was reluctant to use Jacob Barnes, where Williams pitched really well in the eighth inning, setting up. Uh, so I don't want to go overboard here, but you know, if if we were willing to go out and speculate on any of those four guys, I know Albers and Barnes were the big ones that that you know drew waiver claims and fab bids. But uh, you know, I think if you were willing, given the uncertainty that we've had in this situation for several days now, I don't think it's the worst idea to go ahead and and make a small bid uh, or use up uh, a waiver claim on Taylor Williams just to see. Uh, so you know, and it's not like he's. He's a, a non-prospect. I mean, he's really low on the Brewers' prospect list. He's 26 years old, but he has put up some good minor league numbers uh, in, in both a relief and a starting role. So intriguing, if not uh, frustrating situation for fantasy owners uh, there in Milwaukee. Uh, the Tampa Bay situation, I mean, I don't know if there's really much of a situation. I don't think there's a current threat 
to the job security of Alex Colome, but he just hasn't looked good, even when he's getting saves for the most part. Colome hasn't looked good, and he came into uh, a, a game that really the race seemed to have pretty much in hand. You had Ryan Weber starting off the uh, the ninth inning. He got into a little bit of trouble, so Colome came in to shut it down, and fortunately, the, the race had a four-run leap because he gave up a three-run homer to Jose Abreu. So uh, I, I, I do think it's worthwhile, even though I don't think the change is imminent, you know, unless maybe there's some kind of health issue with Colomay or something. I don't know. He just has not really been very good. So I, I, I think it makes sense to speculate whether, again, whether there's a health issue. And that's I want to be very clear. I'm completely speculating on that. I'm just trying to understand why Colomay's really not been very effective. But um, whether you know it's that scenario or just a situation of Colomay rebuilds his trade value, it gets traded later, or he struggles for a long time and is replaced in midseason. It's not a bad idea to uh, speculate on the, that situation. And uh, it's a hard situation to speculate on. I mean, I've talked about Jose Alvarado. I've talked about Sergio Romo. I tweeted earlier today that Matt Andres is being used in some higher, uh, higher leverage type situations. But somebody on Twitter, and I'm going to uh, find this tweet so I can give credit where credit is due, uh, Grumpy Fryer at Grumpy Fryer. Uh, I'll read the tweet. Fingers crossed the Rays have a safe situation today. Colomay like will likely be unavailable since he's pitched and pitched badly in three straight games. We could see who's next in line. So this really could be a nice test, although Alvarado and Andres have been used a bit lately. I think both have pitched two out in two or three last games. So maybe it's down to Romo and Chaz Rowe, but it's a situation worth watching. Um, just you know, in the event that there is a save situation for the Rays, which of course is is definitely not a given. And by the way, that game is in progress. It's a zero zero tie, so it is trending towards being a close game. Yanni Chirinos and uh, James Shields having a bit of a, a pitcher's duel. Chirinos, of course, has been outstanding. He still hasn't given up an earned run all season, and James Shields has five strikeouts in four innings after it took him, I think, till the end of his second start to get a strikeout. Uh, granted, the Rays are not the most uh, you know, patient of, of teams, the most selective. But I digress. The point is, check in on this game towards the end. See if the Rays do have a save situation there and see what they do with it. Maybe that'll give us some clarity on, on who to speculate on with uh, Alex Colomay just not really being himself. And finally, the uh, last situation I want to check in on is the Orioles. Just to serve a minor development last night in that Darren O'Day got called on to pitch uh, the ninth inning uh, with a 1-1 tie. And uh, with the Orioles being the home team, it seems to be a situation where you bring the closer in. So it's been mostly Brad Brock so far for Buck Showalter. But uh, Darren O'Day came in, and unfortunately he uh, for him and for the Orioles, gave up a solar homer, solar homer to Curtis Granderson. So I don't know that there's a whole lot of impact there. But basically, it's um, you know Day getting a rare opportunity to do the job in the ninth inning, and uh, just one pitch. But that's sometimes all it takes, and he didn't get it done. So that maybe gives Brad Brock a little bit more of a buffer uh, in terms of getting the bulk of the save opportunities for the Orioles. All right, well, let's move on to some of the hitting performances. And while again the starting pitchers kind of dominated. The headlines, there were uh, three multiple home run performances. So Javier Baez uh, knocked two out of the park against the Pirates. Uh, Justin Bohr breaking out finally because it's really been a rough slog for him. Two homers against the Mets and a uh, bit of a slugfest in Miami. And uh, on the other side of the ledger, Asdrubal Cabrera hitting his second and third home runs of the season. But for Bohr and for Baez, those were their first two home home runs, uh, respectively, for uh, for each of them. Uh, but Cabrera's off to a really good start. Uh, in addition to his three homers, he's got three doubles, so he has not lacked for power. He's been going for it, though. He's got a 46% fly ball rate. And, you know, given the small samples that we're seeing right now, there's way more extreme fly ball rates out there than that. And it's not an enormous departure for Cabrera, but you know it might explain to some extent why we're seeing a good power hitting start to the season for Cabrera. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I, I don't know that that's that's really you know necessarily newsworthy because uh, Cabrera has shown over the last few seasons that uh, you know after a lull, uh, you know after the first couple of seasons with the Indians and then kind of hitting a lull for a few years, that he's a, a pretty reliable sort of mid-range power source, um, and he's got the multi-position eligibility, which also helps him out. So uh, looking good there for Cabrera, definitely a candidate to be started right now, even in 12-team mixed leagues. Uh, Baez uh, certainly giving us a little bit more reason. He has yet to attempt a stolen base, uh, but the steals will come. I mean, not in huge numbers, but I, you know, I think 12 to 15 steals is a reasonable expectation for Baez, and good to see him get on track with a two-homer game. His exit velocity and launch angle are up just slightly but not enough to really take notice because as I've, I've mentioned in some prior shows at this point in the season, you really kind of are, you're looking for big changes uh, because those little changes can get washed out in like a couple of games. Uh, so really that's what we've seen from Javier Baez is in, in terms of indicators of greater power, just slight improvements uh, that, that probably don't mean a whole lot. As for Justin Bohr, like I said, really had not produced a lot uh, prior to Tuesday's game. And even so, uh, with the two homers, he has a 190 batting average. So uh, not uh, doing really great uh, on balls in play. And he's got a 16% hard contact rate. So while we talk about like extreme changes, that one's bordering on extreme, I would say. I mean, Justin Bore, you'd like to see him with a hard contact rate that's more than double, 16%. You know, you'd like to see it 36 38%, somewhere in that neighborhood. Uh, a normal rate is somewhere closer to 30%, and he's almost half that at 60%. But again, small sample. At this point, we can really just call it an early season slump for Justin Bohr. Um, Mookie Betts had a, a huge game. I'm sorry. And actually, I, I want to go backwards just for one second. I was going to move on to Mookie Betts, and I realized uh, I want to talk about Derek Dietrich. And, and so the interest of continuity and, and stay, keeping it focused on the Marlins. Uh, Dietrich also had a two-hit game against the Mets and walked. Uh, and Dietrich is, because he gets hit a lot, um, he's a, a pretty good source of on-base percentage. But he's batting three twenty-seven and is one of the National League leaders and base hits in the early going. He does have a 385 BABIP, though, that doesn't look particularly well supported. So um, I, I just would go overboard on Dietrich at this point. I mean, I think he's got some appeal, but uh, I could see him as being a, a hot starter that maybe draws a little bit more interest than he probably should uh, on the waiver wire. Now, Mookie Betts, obviously, there's not a whole lot of actionable uh, <laughs> uh, work to be done with him. Uh, but he went uh, four for four against the Yankees in that uh, game where uh, Luis Severino got torched. The bullpen didn't do very well. Uh, so a lot of big performances for the Red Sox. Betts uh, hit his second homer and his fourth and fifth doubles of the season. So in a lineup that fattened up a bit against the Yankees pitching staff, uh, Mookie Betts led the way. So uh, encouraging for him, but again, not necessarily anything surprising or new. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Andrew Benintendi, who's not in the Red Sox lineup today, and again, probably just as a matter of finding a way to um, get uh, J.D. Martinez in, in the outfield and, and basically get Mitch Moreland a start. I think that's where the domino uh, chain of dominoes ends, is just getting Mitch Moreland to start at first base. So I wouldn't read too much into that, but it's been a rough go for Benintendi. But again, like for many of the Red Sox, a good game for him. Benintendi went two for three with a double, a triple. He also walked twice. He now has a 400 on base percentage, but he's hitting only 206. And he's just not getting a lot of good pitches to hit. Uh, he's only seen 38% of uh, his total sum of pitches located in the strike zone. Uh, but he is showing great contact skills, if not a whole lot of power yet. His current whiff rate is only 4%, Andrew Benintendi. So... Don't get discouraged. I would say don't even bench him. Maybe try a buy low on Benintendi. Um, but uh, the, the indicators look pretty good for him. I would not be too concerned there. So uh, that pretty much wraps it up for the hitters uh, for Tuesday's games. 
But I want to reserve the final segment here to talk about the pitchers because, as I've mentioned already several times, a lot of great performances that deserve a bit of an uh, analytical breakdown. So uh, stick around. I'll be right back after this brief break. Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And as promised, I'm going to uh, break down a whole bunch of the pitching performances from Tuesday's games. But I'm actually going to check in with something that happened already here on Wednesday. Uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that Brandon McCarthy was pulled after five innings, uh, had sort of an awkward play covering first base, grabbed his arm, and uh, as uh, as I had suspected, and, and many other observers had as well, uh, McCarthy has been diagnosed with a shoulder injury. It's a left shoulder sublux- subluxation. Yeah, I didn't think I was going to get that on the first pass, uh, which is just a fancy word for a partial dis- dislocation. Uh, and according to the Braves' own Twitter account, McCarthy is day-to-day. So that certainly leaves us up in the air about his next start, about his projected to start week for uh for week four and uh if you're in a situation like i am i've got a uh, fab run tonight in one of my leagues i had already put it in a claim for mccarthy and now i got to make a decision about whether or not to keep it there uh, and i probably will just because uh you know i like mccarthy and if i don't get to use him next week so be it i'd be uh probably okay with stashing them so uh there's your Brandon McCarthy update. And of course, if he uh, isn't good to go for the next start, I'll keep you posted uh, on future shows about what that means for, for the Braves rotation. All right. Well, let's uh, get to the big performances from Tuesday. And the headline performance certainly has to be Aaron Sanchez's start at Baltimore because he had a no hitter through seven innings. And I got to say, if this was a no hitter, this would be one of the stranger no hitters in a while. I mean, you know, certainly uh, one of the most memorable ones for me was the A.G. Burnett no-hitter where he walked, I believe it was nine batters. Uh, you know, so there have been all kinds of strange no-hitters. This would have been a strange one, but uh, came out in the eighth inning and gave up three straight hits. Actually wound up giving up a run. Uh, so that final line for Sanchez was uh, eight innings, one run on those three hits. He walked, that's the weird part, he walked five batters and only struck out four in eight innings. And there was a, a very interesting piece in Fangraphs that came out, uh, I believe it was right after Sanchez's previous start. Uh, Jeff Sullivan pointed out that um, Sanchez is not only throwing his changeup more, had been throwing his changeup more in the first two starts, but it was a much more effective pitch than it had been before. That uh, was with um, more movement, I think with greater velocity, but you know there are all kinds of indicators there that show that it was a pretty nasty pitch, and he did throw it more than 30% of the time on Tuesday against the Orioles. So he followed that playbook, but he also kind of followed the playbook of his previous starts of, again, not having a great strikeout-to-walk ratio. Uh, and the added uh, sort of strangeness about this really good start on the whole for Aaron Sanchez is that his velocity was way down on all of his pitches. So... I'm not sure what any of this means. That's what makes it strange and, and sort of confusing. He had great results. Um, something was clearly off. And you uh, had the five walks and the four strikeouts. And, and over now, his three starts combined, uh, Sanchez has pitched 19 and two-thirds innings. He has only struck out 13 batters, but he has walked 11. But 
there's there's the but. You know, when, when the results are pretty good, but the indicators are bad, I mean, you could go the good luck route, or you could look for something else. And in the case of Sanchez, he's been getting the ground balls, which was something that uh, he wasn't able to do as well last season. And he has a 29% soft contact rate, which is exceedingly high. Yes, small sample caveat applies here. But that's how he's really getting it done. Uh, not by avoiding contact, but getting a lot of contact contact that's not very dangerous. So this is going to be another one of those wait-and-see situations. I don't think it's, you know, Aaron Sanchez had a no-hitter for, for seven innings, run out and get him. Maybe you get him and you stash him if you can. But I'm perfectly content to kind of watch this one from the sidelines and see how it plays out. And I guess that's a signal that maybe I'm I'm a bit skeptical that he could get, get it done this way. And I am worried about the, the velocity decline uh, from start to start for Sanchez and what that might mean. Now, what also kind of made this an interesting game and an interesting matchup is on the other side of it, was one of the kings of soft contact from last year, Andrew Kashner. In fact, he kind of followed that exact same formula, uh, had a very very good ERA last year, some pretty good overall results for Andrew Kashner, but really wasn't striking very many people out. In fact, he had one of the lowest contact rates in the major. He and Ty Block were right there at the top of the contact rate leaderboard, which is not, as a pitcher, leaderboard you, you typically want to be on. Uh, but despite that, and you know, not always the best of control, Kashner did pretty well because, again, he avoided hard contact. Um, he has not been as effective in that regard this year, but the results have been pretty good, including uh, in the start against the uh, the Orioles. And you know, it's sort of funny that even though Sanchez grabbed the headlines with the you know the no hitter watch and all that deep into the game. Kashner actually wound up with the, the better pitching line. He pitched seven scoreless innings, only gave up four hits and three walks, uh, and got six strikeouts. I mean, that's a nice performance from Andrew Kashner. And now that's two starts in a row where Kashner has uh, frozen a whole lot of batters. In fact, over the two-star combined, he has a 20% uh, called strike rate, which is very high and very good. You like to see that. And the swing rate uh, for the opposing batters in those two starts is below 40%, which is really low. I mean, 40, 41% is low. And at each of those starts, it was in the, the upper 30. So uh, that that's certainly a part of what's helped Kashner to succeed recently. But, you know, if you look at the strikeout numbers and say, oh, he's, he's striking out more guys than last year, he's not getting the whiffs. He did in the first start, but uh, in the last two, Combined, he has a 6% whiff rate, which is it's right, lands right back to where he was last year. And also, he has been better at, guess what, inducing soft contact <laughs> the last two starts. Not to the extreme extent that he did in 2017, but he's been above average at it. And again, when we're talking small samples, kind of repeating uh, a theme from earlier in the show, uh, you know, it's, it's extreme changes we're looking for here. So... Being just merely better than average at something over the course of two starts really doesn't mean a whole lot. But, you know, you can look at that two ways. And you could say, well, maybe he's really, that's not really a skill for him right now. Or you could say, well, he's better than average. And maybe he's, you know, working into last season's form. You can read pretty much anything you want into that. But uh, the fact that, you know, he is freezing batters, uh, that hard contact in the last two starts hasn't been a problem means that, uh, I'm, I'm maybe slightly skeptical uh, of Kashner being successful, but I, I, you know, there's enough encouragement there that uh, I'm, I'm speculating on him in, in deeper leagues where he's available and, and definitely watching Kashner very closely. Uh, there was another good pitcher's duel in Colorado, of all places, Joey Lucchese and Tyler Anderson. Uh, and pitchers with kind of similar profiles in a way, uh, strike throwers uh, who do get a lot of swings. So sort of uh, the, the, the anti-Sanchez, <laughs> in a way. Uh, Lucchese, though, looking really great in back-to-back starts against the Rockies, one San Diego, this one in Colorado. Uh, so on Tuesday, he went six innings, just gave up two runs. Neither was earned uh, on only four hits and one walk with eight strikeouts. So very nice performance by Lucchese, who, you know, right up until the very end was, was looking pretty dominant. And he's got the stats to back it up so far this year. He's got a 13% whiff rate, 
he uh, is inducing swings when he does go outside outside of the strike zone at a 34% rate, which is outstanding. And looking in terms of looking for extreme stats, here's one, again, that after three starts might mean absolutely nothing, but it's extreme enough that I'm intrigued. Lucchese has induced pulled hit balls at a rate of 24% when the norm is about 40%. I mean, that's... That's really low. And, uh, you know, particularly as far as, you know, fly balls are concerned. Again, I'm not sure what the fly ball ground ball, uh, uh, the composition is in terms of that pull rate. But in terms of a lack of pulled fly balls, I mean, that's that can only help Lucchese. So on grounders, it's it's uh, less helpful, but um, pretty interesting uh, and intriguing for, for Lucchese. Uh, Tyler Anderson, he also went six innings, also gave up two runs, but they were both earned on seven hits and two walks with eight strikeouts. So pretty similar lines for the two pitchers. And also, like Lucchese, Anderson sports a 13% whiff rate. Of course, the frustrating thing about Anderson is that that whiff rate is so tantalizing, but he doesn't get any called strikes. So he winds up usually with a pretty average strikeout rate. And when you combine that with the strong fly ball tendencies that he's shown this year and that he has shown at other times, particularly last season, for a Rockies pitcher, it's a little bit concerning. He's got a 21% ground ball rate, Tyler Anderson, so far this season. So that's got to regress, right? I mean, that's got to come closer to normal, at least, to get that up in the mid-30s or something, which is still very, very low. 21% ground ball rate for Tyler Anderson. And what the way he's gotten away, uh, how he's gotten away with it, is that the fly balls that he's allowed have gone an average distance of just 300 feet which is that's, you know, the territory Andrew Kashner was in last year. Brandon McCarthy was in uh, Jose Barrios, uh, you know, the guys who were really elite at avoiding hard fly ball contact. You know, the, the pitchers that I was talking about on yesterday's show who are uh, the, the current uh, exit velocity leaders in, in a good way, the low exit uh, velocity. So Tyler Anderson's there. He's in that company, and he's going to have to stay there or radically, radically improve his ground ball rate. And given the recent track record with him, going back to last year, I'm not particularly encouraged that Anderson is going to be even an average ground ball pitcher. So if he's going to succeed this year, given the lack of called strikes, the lack of ground balls, um, he's going to have to succeed in a pretty unconventional way. Aaron Nola, a good start. Uh, here comes the uh, the giveaway phrase. On the surface against the Reds, uh, going eight innings. So at least not a quick hook from Gabe Kapler there. Uh, eight innings, one run on only three hits, three walks, six strikeouts. And the strikeout-to-walk ratio has been a little concerning for Nola. Uh, he's pitched now 18 and a third innings over three starts, which has 13 strikeouts and eight walks, which is high for him. Uh, not a great ratio. He's been allowing contact uh, at a much higher rate, which again would explain the strikeout rate. And not pitching the zone nearly as much as he has the last couple of years. So I'm a little bit worried about Aaron Nola. I wouldn't be selling him at this point, even though maybe it's an opportune time to do so. Uh, again, it's a small sample, so I don't want to overreact. And Nola at his best, potential ace. But definitely watch this one closely. Now, opposing him was Homer Bailey, who had a nice start. Six innings, uh, one run on, only two hits, no walks, seven Ks. Uh, now, Bailey has a 3.2 ERA as a result of that start. But uh, over his first two starts, only five strikeouts and six walks. That's pretty ugly. So I'm not running out and trying to add Homer Bailey just, just yet. Hunted Ryu had a really good start against the A's. Six innings, no runs on one hit and one walk and eight strikeouts. And I'd probably be running to pick him up if I had any kind of confidence that he was going to be making regular turns and the Dodgers rotation, and as it is, that was the for his first start in eight days. But uh, Ryu certainly bears watching in a very good way. Tyler Skaggs, building on imp- an impressive start uh, at the Rangers, went fif- uh, five innings, one run on five hits, four walks, but seven strikeouts, and Skaggs owns a 13% whiff rate, which is very, very good. Blake Snell with a good bounce-back start against the White Sox, six innings, one run on just one hit, five walks and 10 Ks. 
Hard to read the tea leaves on Blake Snell. Uh, good to see the Ks, but really would like to see the walks down for him. So maybe it's baby steps for Blake Snell. Uh, Matt Boyd, I made sort of an informal bet with Nando DeFino on the show last week because I thought that um, I'm trying to remember who it was uh, that I thought would do better than Matt Boyd. And uh, I think it was Ben Lively. I don't remember. Whoever it was did not pitch this well. Matt Boyd won seven innings at Cleveland, one run on three hits and one walk, just four strikeouts. I think when Matt Boyd is on, uh, that is about what you can expect. Probably not a lot of strikeouts, but really good control. And uh, he, like Tyler Anderson, he's got to limit the damage on fly balls if he's going to be effective. Tyler Beatty uh, made his major league debut, and it was not very impressive uh, against the Diamondbacks. Only lasted four innings. Just gave up two runs, but on three hits and five walks uh, with three strikeouts uh, through just barely half of his pitches for strikes uh, for Beatty. So control was definitely an issue there. And his thing, when he's been successful, has been getting ground balls. And uh, out of 11 batted balls that Beatty allowed in this start, only four were grounders. So just a first start, and with Cueto out, maybe Beatty gets uh, another start or two or more, but um, not an auspicious debut. And finally, Dallas Keuchel. So I'm kind of I'm saving one of the bigger, uh, more impactful starts for last. Uh, fishing, unfortunately, on kind of a down note. It's not really gone that well for Keuchel so far. And on Tuesday at Minnesota, he only lasted four innings. Gave up three runs on six hits and four walks with six strikeouts. And Keuchel is not one to typically pitch in the zone a lot. Of course, he relies heavily on the sinker, and often that sinker is below the zone, but it's it's very a deceptive pitch for him. So he gets swings and misses, and he gets bad contact on that, that sinker. And maybe hitters, maybe it's not as uh, effective. Maybe hitters are going to uh, lay off of it. But uh, he's throwing actually even a little less in the zone than normal. His uh, zone percentage is 36%, which is on the low side even for Keiko and very low, low for a typical pitcher. But the swing rate that he's getting on pitches that aren't in the zone, and again, typically these are below the zone, only 29%, which is a little below average uh, for, for the major league. So uh, that's distressing. It's led to a 13% walk rate for Keiko. And... He has lost so far in his first three starts uh, two inches of vertical movement on his sinker. So that might be your answer there. Uh, so that's going to be one to watch as well. Keiko and Nola, uh, you know, two potential stud pitchers. Uh, Nola's results look better, but I think both of them have some have some warning signs. So uh, something to look for, but obviously not for a few more days until they make their next starts. So on that note, I'm uh, going to call it a wrap on this one. And when I come back, it's going to be Nando Thursday. So uh, you're definitely going to want to tune in for that. Uh, join me and Nando DeFino, same time, 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific time, Thursday, right here on Fancy Sports Radio Network. I want to thank you for tuning in to today's edition of Fancy Baseball Hour. And uh, a lot of day baseball there. So I hope you have a chance to catch some of it. Enjoy it. Take care. <laughs> 